Welcome to the HCI Family of Podcasts, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We share our own original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. Join us for practitioner-oriented content around all things leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with the HCI family of podcasts. Robert Jordan, welcome to the conversation today. Thanks so much, John. It's a pleasure to be with you. And you know, you have this perfect voice. You know, in the prior <laughs> generations, they would say you have this perfect radio voice. You really do. But now people would say it's a perfect podcast voice. <laughs> yeah, I have which a face not, for which radio. Which is not to discount your, your beautiful visage, your good looking guy. It's just your voice is like, oh my God. This is, you know. Thank, uh, thank, thank you. And for those who are watching the video and not listening to the audio, uh, today I'm donning my Christmas sweater. I have my nice uh, red, bright uh, Christmas sweater on. But yes, I do. I do believe I have a face for radio or a face for podcasting. Um, but it's it's been a lot of fun. This has been a, a fun journey to be a part of. Bob, it's it's a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, I want to introduce everyone to Robert Jordan, who is the author of the book "Right Leader, Right Time: Discover Your Leadership Style for a Winning Career and Company." Who's joining us from the Chicago area? Of course, I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. Robert is also the CEO of Interim Execs, which matches top executives with companies around the world. Based on research with thousands of leaders and companies, he and Olivia Wagner wrote the book, Right Leader, Right Time, which we'll be discussing today, and have launched the FABS Leadership Assessment, a free assessment at rightleader.com, designed to help leaders and organizations perform better. Uh, so just really a pleasure, Bob, to be with you. Anything you would like to highlight from your background or personal context before we dive on in? Oh, let's dive right on in. Okay, cool. Well, I always like to ask authors, you know, what is it about this topic? Why this book? Why now? It's a great question. Um, we felt compelled because, you know, as you mentioned, our work, we're matchmakers around the world at interim execs. And we saw this pattern among exceptional leaders Um and it was that over time, they demonstrated more and more of what we started to call leadership style, that there was a more unique process and approach and system that these leaders have. It may also be interesting to hear your thoughts on this from your expertise, John. Um, the, the opposite pattern was something which was more disturbing, which is the vast majority of people in management roles um, you know, we evaluated thousands of people, 8,000 executives had shown up on our doorstep from 60 countries. And the majority of those folks were having career experiences and leadership journeys that you would say were okay, but not great. And they did not tend to have this strong sense of leadership style. And mm -hmm. we really felt compelled to write this as a cautionary or or kind of thing for people younger in their careers to say, look, there really is, there is something to success that you can emulate. That's what was driving us. Yeah, well, great. And 
so you're doing great work uh, with your firm um, and then being able to really pull together a lot of the work you're doing and the insights and, and package it into a book that's accessible and consumable by anyone, I, I think is really great. Um, so kudos on the book. I, I know it's a labor of love. It takes a lot of time and energy and passion to bring those to light. Um, how do we go about determining leadership style? If we, if we kind of start at the foundation here, uh, if we assume that it's important to understand leadership styles and how what ours are, what our style is, or the different types of styles we have or operate under and how we interact with those around us. How do we start that process? Thanks. So uh, for the benefit of uh, uh, listeners, uh, maybe if I go through a brief description of the four styles, yeah, um, it'll help people start to think in terms of identifying, you know, who am I? Uh, the four styles we gave labels, fixer, artist, builder and strategist fixer artist builder strategist fabs which is why to your earlier point the we launched a free three-minute assessment tool called fabs leadership fabs leadership assessment so i think the first important point is uh someone hearing about a particular style and seeing what resonates is there something where you think it fits you more um, and certainly by launching an assessment, we're trying to help folk, folks come to a realization. Um, each one of these four styles has somewhat of a different origin story. So to give you an example, the first style we call fixer. Fixer is turnaround kind of energy. This is the person who they kind of need to run into the burning building mm -hmm. to save everyone. And, and in the altruistic sense, we may all have that notion, but I'm talking in the business and organizational sense mm -hmm. that there is this need to fix broken organizations, teams, client situations, but but that's a repeat kind of thing. It's not, you know, for example, running a business like interim execs, I have to deal with problems, but that's not how I get my energy and I don't relish it and I don't seek it out. People who are classic turnaround and fixer energy, they are drawn to it. And their careers tend to be that they are troubleshooters. They're in their happy place, troubleshooting again and again and again. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's definitely not my style. Uh, I, I, I like diving in and, and trying to solve problems, but man, I'm not going to go seek them out. Uh, it seems like there's plenty coming at me all the time anyways. Uh, and and uh, I, I'm, I'm my hope, my goal is to create processes, systems, and and create a culture uh, that's self-sustaining where I don't have to be putting out fires and doing that all the time. But I'm glad that there are people um, that that do uh, le lean that way because you have different contexts that have different needs and demands of, of people. You're actually describing for yourself what, you know, I we'd have more conversation, but it feels to me more like that you have builder energy. Mm. So just to, to run through them real quick, Fixer is is that need to run into the burning building. It's it's constantly troubleshooting. Uh, artist energy is, is the person driven by innovation, maybe at their own peril. They just cannot stop coming up with, mm. with new ideas. You know, I used to like using the example of Elon Musk. That, that doesn't work so well anymore because of uh, Twitter, because there's a <laughs> much more divisive thing going on. But if I, yeah, yeah. you know, the Thomas Edison, Steve Jobs, 
uh, early Elon, SpaceX, Tesla, Boring Company, this, this primary drive and leadership in terms of creative and innovative is the way you lead. Builder, builder is the energy that takes the small, the nascent product service team and it drives for scale. It drives for market domination. It is around system, process, product, people, that what do you do to become dominant in a market, in a product? Um, and what you tend to see with builder energy in commercial businesses a lot is that when someone has achieved that scale, they tend to rotate off. Mm. They want the new team, the new division, the new product to do it all over again. Now, the person that doesn't rotate off, we call strategist. Strategist is the leader at scale. Strategist is the leader typically within complex or large organization where you no longer can rely just on personal relationship. Tends to be you see fixer artists and builder energy, the team size is five, 10, 50, maybe 100, tops out about 150. Uh, people know each other and they rely on each other based on those personal relationships. Strategists, yes, there's, there is team that they know well, but you know, you think of somebody, Fred Smith, who was the founder and, and was 50 years at Federal Express, you know, he he ended with an org he ended his career with an organization at 200,000 plus people. And it's very different kinds of style and what you do to be effective to move an organization forward at that kind of complexity. Yeah. Well, and you started to get into it, but let's dive in then more. Um, with these different types of styles, and you've identified the four within your typology, um, how does one's leadership style guide our behaviors, our actions, and uh, how we go about leading teams, working within our teams and our organizations? It's a great question. I think we're very big fans of awareness. Uh, that with awareness, um, both of your style and the style of people around you, better things are going to happen. Um, it is, it's getting at the idea of authenticity and being genuine in our work and with our teams. So if you have a premise, which is that if everybody's firing on all cylinders in your team, you're all going to do better, right? The organization team will do better. Well, part of that is, is that the more you know me, John, and I know you, uh, the things at which I excel those few things are going to be unique. And in those things, better to pass me the ball. But the more that I can be confident in those abilities, the more I can also be confident to pass off things that are not truly my gift. And if you want to know the number one flaw, inhibitor, problem with the majority of executives, what is limiting in their careers, it is trying to be all things to all people. And I say it, everyone listening is thinking, well, that's not me. But it does tend to be that we want to be helpful or there can be insecurity. There can be insecurity mm -hmm. at work, which is what mm -hmm. if I'm not looking perfect at everything that I do and it's trying to cover too much, too much of the waterfront, right? Organizations suffer from this as well. You know, if anybody's read the book, Blue Ocean Strategy, well, you know, what is the opposite of blue ocean? It's red ocean. Red meaning there's so much blood because you have this, this more and more undifferentiated marketplace where everyone tries to do everything and it ends up in a mess, a bloody mess. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same thing can apply for, for individuals, which is to be more confident in know thyself, the better you are going to do. And it's not easy, not easy at all. I have two daughters just getting into the workforce. And, you know, if you say to somebody early in their career that, you know, they they shouldn't try to do everything, they should figure out their genius and reinforce that. Well, that's hard, if not impossible. They need the paycheck, right? They need the esteem. They have to work. Sometimes their parents are saying, you have to get a job, right? You know, but if I could tell you one of one of our primary findings or what we believe of exceptional executives, it is that extraordinary leaders tend to reject more of what is not for their highest and best use. I've I've done a lot of assessments over the years, um, personality assessments, things like strengths finders. Um, there's lots of different tools out there, lots of different assessments out there. Um, and what I found is I, in part, because I I do psychometrics myself, like I can't help but like think about, okay, what are they trying to get at with these items? <laughs> and so I'm not sure how well they work on me, um, but the average person probably doesn't have that kind of a, an understanding or, or maybe doesn't approach them that way. And you, you always get the instructions, just reply quickly, honestly, uh, et cetera. Um, I'm wondering what what you have found to be the most helpful in honestly assessing your strengths and weaknesses as a leader, trying to determine your style. Um, you know, again, there are just so many different options out there of tools people can utilize. And some people might be more like me where you're kind of overthinking it <laughs> um, or or what whatever the case may be that might limit their effectiveness. Well, first and foremost, I would say that uh, there's nothing wrong with with using multiple tools to help you figure out your own style of leadership and, and your best career. There's nothing saying that just because you like DISC, you can't also like Colby. I, I'm fans of, of both. So I think it, it all gets at our own self-discovery and, and for our teams, helping us know the people on our teams who we're trying to support and and help them in advance in, in their own ways. So we didn't launch fabs saying, we got to take on this other psychometric uh, test. That's not what we were getting at. We were trying to get yeah. at something which was additive and putting more color into a person's career to say, okay, that that helped me a bit. Now, if I could mm-hmm. throw one more thing out there, uh, John, because I understand, because you are expert, hard to look at these things without you know, you're like the mechanic. I got to get under the hood. I'm not going to just drive this car, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'll, I'll give you one thing we think is a determinant of style, okay? If you are strongly wired with artist energy, you need to work on more than one project at a time. Mm-hmm. It is, we, we believe it will correlate the more and more resu- results we get from the assessment. We believe it's going to strongly correlate that if you need parallel to parallel process, and the brain doesn't really, but but if you need the distraction of multiple projects, you likely have some pretty strong artist energy. That also is a trait of strategist. Um, because if you think of people in large organizations, you have to juggle multiple things at a time. But the opposite of that is that strong fixer energy tends to focus on one crisis at a time, okay? So 
I say that because it's meant to be a comfort. If you need distraction in multiple projects, then take comfort in the fact that you've got great artist energy, and that's great. That's who you are. It's not something to say, oh, my God, you know, I can't focus on one thing, blah, blah, blah. Does that make sense? It does. And I think it's also I'll helpful. give you one more. Sorry for interrupting. Give one more example. Yeah. Uh, as you and I are recording, there was a court case that just concluded and mm. the founder of FTX was found guilty of fraud. Oh. Um, Great. <laughs> when FTX declared bankruptcy. Yeah. The moment it went into bankruptcy, the court appointed a interim CEO, and uh, that guy is as strong fixer energy as you are going to find. That's the classic definition of fixer is everything hit the fan. Mm-hmm. It went into court, billions of dollars in dispute, um, maybe a million people who, who face loss of, of their funds, right? Just horrible crisis. And at the center of it all, a fixer. Well, that fixer's name is John Ray. I can guarantee you, he doesn't have a side gig. Mm. He took took on FTX. And there is one focus in that guy's life. That is classic for fixer energy. Very different from artist energy. It, it's again just a reminder um, that there's there's no one size fits all here, uh, and so. I think I think sometimes people do you know we have a common, for example, this the the stereotypical charismatic leader that's portrayed in TV or movies or whatever. Awesome, like I, a great charismatic leader, they're needed in a particular context within a, a, a particular time and place. Um, they can have an impact in ways that others might not be able to. But there really are different needs, depending on the team, depending on the organization, depending on the external environment, the context really does matter. Uh, and so we have to kind of get out of the space of, of having in our mind that there's like one prototypical great leader. Um, I, I'm, I'm a believer that a whole lot of people, way more than we often think of, can actually be really great leaders. Um, and whether or not they're the right person at the right time depends largely on the context that they might be involved in. So let's stop trying to pigeonhole people. Let's stop trying to square peg round hole people, um, trying to force people to become something they're not, um, but rather better understand who you are, what drives you, um, what your skill sets are, what your style is, complement your team, you know, have complementary skills and styles on your team um, so that you can accomplish what you need to and to me, that's far more important um, than, you know, kind of the the stereotypical great leader model that was very common decades ago. Um, ho- hopefully that's kind of fading away, uh, but but I still hear people talk about it a lot. And so you you just illustrated why that is, can be problematic and, and why we just need to be more nuanced in how we approach this and how we not not just for myself. Right. But for for those I'm working with. And I also need to have some, I don't know, compassion or, or patience or flexibility around myself to not think that I, in order for me to be successful, I have to be something um, that currently I'm not. Uh, That doesn't mean I can't develop, it doesn't mean I can't develop skills and that I can't grow into my capacity and grow into new roles and new contexts. But I don't need to fundamentally be something I'm not. You are right. You are right. And, and, you know, it's a, uh, none of us are all things to all people. 
Right, and yeah. uh, if one of if there's also one of the things we really wanted to take on, it's this idea that because someone has done one thing great, we, yeah. we tend to give celebrity status to anyone who has amassed any power or money or whatever. Um, and it's just not the case. It, it's not true, despite what we do. You know, you did. I'll pick on Elon one more time here. You know, <laughs> you could do SpaceX and Tesla. And I think that's truly amazing. I mean, it's truly kind of advancing the planet stuff. But then you get to Twitter and you see exactly which is, well, that doesn't mean you can do everything perfectly. And so also to acknowledge that we are in the most portable mm. time that, that's ever occurred for people in career. You know, the, the whole concept of lifetime employment gone, much more so that especially people early in their careers understand you're essentially having tours of duty. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And that the people are, you know, you know, your children, John, for example, college at the moment, then they're going to be getting out into the world. And it's just a given that they're going to be having these journeys that are going to be multifaceted and, and take, you know, we should take comfort from that. That, that they're going to gain confidence. You gain confidence through these tours of duty to figure out both what you like and what you do not like and to go reinforce and drive harder for all of the stuff that you like. Because this is just the way the world has organized itself. And it's not, and that's and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, and there are models for this, of course. You know, Hollywood, Hollywood for a hundred years, uh, you know, your favorite actor or actress you don't care that they're part of one company. What you care about is, is that they move from a great movie or Netflix series onto the next, onto the next. It keeps on utilizing their best skills. Everyone involved in those productions is the same. Come together to make a great production, hundreds or thousands of people, producer, key, key grip, cinematographer, actors, blah, 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 all of this. And when it's over, disband, move on to other projects and and that's a great form of organization. Bob, this has just been a really fun conversation. We've only scratched the surface. There's so much more in this book. Uh, I think I think that the audience can dig into. Um, but I also note the time. I need to let you go here in just a minute. Before we wrap things up for today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, where they can find your book, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Thank you, John. I can be reached at interimexecs.com. Um, and uh, final word, my God, now you're putting pressure on me. <laughs> I, um, I'm, I'm going to repeat one thing I said, if it, if it can spark some uh, uh, thoughts for your, for your listeners, which is that, that, you know, great leaders tend to reject more of what is not for their highest and best use. When you start thinking about where am I, where am I best, where are my skills best applied here? Is there a way that more and more you can gently move away from what does not really engage you. Yeah, that's a good bookend on this conversation. Thanks again, Bob. It's been a real pleasure. I encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Bob can do for you. Check out the book. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the podcast. 
We hope you stay healthy and safe, and please join us again soon.